0: Okay, so this series that we've been working on is about being saved and called. And of course, the undergirding scripture for this series is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. That says, we are saved and, everybody say and, and, and called. Okay, in advance for good works by Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Okay, that is really exciting. And so I've been working through, we've been working through the book of Judges together. Okay, has that been interesting? Yeah, it gets more and more interesting as you go through, right? And so we have done Othniel, we have done Ehud, and then over at Billy, the other Sunday we did Deborah, if you followed us over there. But um, it was like the fourth time I preached on Deborah this year, so I, I took the angle of like JL instead, so um, we could stay captivated, paying attention. Um, okay, so we've done that, and so today we are up to Gideon. Yeah, I know, Woo, because Gideon is, um, he's probably the most well-known judge in the book of Judges besides Samson. Okay, we all know his issues and we'll get to him in a few weeks time. Um, but there is more space devoted to Gideon's account in the book than any other judge. Okay, so we're given more information about him than any other judge. And we tend to, We tend to know about Gideon's story because he's the most relatable thus far. Um, Okay, it's a little difficult to relate to Othniel and Ehud and Deborah um, because there's no real flaws indicated in the scripture about them even though they were very much human but... um, But in Gideon's account, there is this rawness of humanity. We see him struggle with faith. We see him struggle with obedience. And we just see his human frailty, all right? And so who knows that that's always more relatable, okay, than perfection, okay? So we we find it easier to step into Gideon's shoes. And so I think that's why we can relate to him more or will relate to him more um, as a judge, okay? So um, now the cycle... Um, you've probably heard me say this a few times, but just for those who may not have been here, the cycle in judges just keeps getting repeated okay in this book. so what happens is Israel falls into sin and they um, rebel against God and they end up being overpowered by their enemies and then they cry out to God and God will raise up a judge He'll raise up a deliverer for the nation who will effectively deliver them into salvation and freedom. okay, but when that judge dies, every time that judge dies israel fall back into sin and they fall back into oppression by their enemies the enemies change but the issue stays the same okay so where we're picking up our story this morning is the cycle has begun again all right Deborah has died okay and Israel have fallen back into oppression okay so it's not the Canaanites as it was with Deborah. It's not the Moabites as it was with Ehud. It's not the king of Mesopotamia as it was with Othniel. This time it's the Midianites. Okay, different enemy, same problem. All right, so the Midianites, I'm just giving us some context before we jump into it this morning. Is that okay? Okay. It's okay. All right, so the Midianites have, they're like locusts. They have swept into the land of Israel and are practicing their clean earth policy and are just basically um, stealing all their produce and um, crops, all right, effectively starving them. And so, what that is doing is oppressing them and driving them into caves and rocks in their own land. They are hiding. Um, in their own land and where we pick up the story no one is taking a stand against the enemy no one is um, attempting to stop them all right so they're all basically asleep everyone withdrew and closed their eyes in self-preservation all right and effectively that's kind of what we do when we sin against God isn't it we hide we do don't we come on it's what we do we we tend to hide when we sin against God and this is what the Israelites are doing they are hiding all right okay and so it has been 47 long years since they sang the song of Deborah okay so if you were with us when we talked about Deborah the entire chapter five of Judges is dedicated to a song of revival. It is a song of victory. And, and most revivals you see in scripture are actually followed by a song. This particular song is, you know, side note, one of the greatest specimens of Hebrew poetry in the entire Bible. Okay. That's just, it's just that one's for free. But okay. So it has been 47 years since they have sung this song of revival. It has just been silence. Okay. Since revival flooded their land and Israel are crying out for revival again. They're crying out to God for the revival that once flooded through the land in their day. The revival that the generation before them got to experience. Okay, in other words, the promise, the salvation, the freedom, and the peace. The peace that they experienced, okay? And so this is this is the context that we find Gideon in. Alright, God finds Gideon. Gideon doesn't find him. And he is... Um, Do you remember he's infamously hiding down a wine press? You guys remember that? (laughs) It's like the main thing we remember about him um, which is unfortunate but uh, in humiliation and sedation he is threshing wheat down there in the wine press. Do you remember that? Do you know how incredibly hard it is to thresh wheat down a wine press because you actually needed oxen to do it and um, you needed to do it in the in the wind so that the wind could blow away the chaff. And so he's doing an extremely difficult task. And he's actually doing an animal's job, actually, okay, down in the wine press. Okay, it's interesting how difficult it is to fulfill even the simplest of tasks when we're hiding, right? Okay, so watch, but watch how God calls him, okay? I want you to pay attention. And this is gonna be our key passage of scripture for this morning, all right? So if you've got your Bibles, Judges chapter six, we'll go from verse 12 to about 16. Are you awake? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Excellent. You're excited about this? Okay, one person is. So that is permission to keep going. All right, so, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us? I wonder if he's slightly sarcastic here. I'm unsure. Okay, you can't tell. Did the Lord not, <laughs> his fathers recounted to us saying, did the Lord not bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Hmm. And the Lord turned to him. It's actually quite scary. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go. Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? Do I not send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Okay? So it's just like a repeat of Moses. How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. As one man. Now, amazingly... This is actually the second person of the Trinity talking to him. You may not know that, but it is, it is what we would call a Christophany, okay? And that is, that is the appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ himself, all right? He's going to appear three times in this book and only several times in the entire Old Testament. It is Christ himself. That's what it means in the particular Hebrew when it talks about the angel of the Lord. So it is Jesus Christ himself himself, who is commissioning Gideon here, personally and privately in the shadows. And is, I don't know, is it worth mentioning that God declares him a mighty man of valour when he is hiding down a hole in obscurity? The weakest man from the weakest tribe, he calls him a mighty man of valour as he is doing a cow's job. <laughs> But God calls Gideon as he is destined to be, not according to his current condition. You know, God never calls us according to our current condition. All right, as Paul, I think Paul touched on this last week, it's not unlike how Christ calls Peter. All right, do you remember the moment when Christ says to Peter, on you, Peter, I will build my church. You remember that? And he prophesies destiny and probably the greatest calling someone could ever have prophesied over them. But he does this to Peter knowing he is going to deny him, knowing he is going to betray him, knowing he is going to go into hiding, knowing his human frailty and weakness. He still prophesies over Peter, on you, I will build my church. Incredible. This very same Christ, years prior, is calling Gideon in very much the same way. The future marches in to return all the stolen years, declaring salvation and destiny and revival to one man who is hiding in a hole. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) When God sees you, I want you to know this morning, he sees all of you. I'm sure you do know that, but just a little reminder, he sees the past you, he sees the present you, and he sees the future you, amazing, he can see all that you are capable of, he sees the potential within you, right, I want you to know his vision for your calling is not actually hindered or obscured by your lack of vision for your calling, as with Gideon here, is that making sense? He is not when he looks at you, and he when he knows the future. You, he is not hindered by your obscurity, your insecurity, your human frailty, your failure. He's not hindered by it. He called Gideon a mighty man of valor and it's this encounter with christ that changes everything for gideon he is a changed man as of this moment he's he is awakened in this moment his eyes are opened that moment in scripture right there we read where it says the lord turned to him he looked at christ he actually locks eyes with the christ here He thought he was going to die because he saw God face to face. But this moment, this encounter changes everything. And in this moment, his eyes are opened to the urgent need of his people. And God says, I'm sending you to save Israel. His eyes are opened. And this is the moment his calling is initiated. His calling is awakened. And he's given his first assignment. You want to hear it? Okay. Verse 25, 26, God says to him, Tear down your father's Baal altar and chop down the Asherah fertility pole beside it, then build an altar to God, your God, on top of this hill. When we're saved, when we encounter Christ for the first time and we are awakened, when we are saved, our spiritual condition is instantly and eternally changed. Would you agree? And as soon as this transaction takes place, our calling is initiated. Do you also agree with that? hope so. In other words, we are given an immediate assignment. When we're saved, we're given an immediate assignment. Okay, God doesn't wait for us to do our DTS. He doesn't wait for us to go to Bible school or brush up on our scriptural knowledge. He doesn't wait for us to get qualifications. As soon as we are saved, we are sent. As soon as we are saved, we are sent the mission begins. If you paid attention in the passage of scripture, you'll notice he was actually called to save Israel, the nation. But God commands that he start literally in his own backyard. Did you notice that? And this is a spiritual principle you'll see repeated in scripture. Revival starts in our backyard. This is the concept here. Revival starts in me. Revival starts in our home and our backyard, okay? In other words, let me rephrase that. Mission starts with me. Would you turn to your neighbor and say, Mission starts with me? <laughs> I can't give you too much leeway because I know you said more than that just then. This is why I give you 60 seconds when I say go get a cup of tea. I know you want to take eight minutes, all right? We don't have time for that. Okay, so God uses what is in front of Gideon in his backyard to captivate his heart for a grander cause, for the nation. But he starts with his backyard with his father. Why? Because numbers overwhelm us. It's true. Isn't it? When we hear that there are 27 million people Approximately people in modern day slavery today, in our generation, on our watch, it overwhelms us, doesn't it? Is that an overwhelming statistic for us? We get overwhelmed when we see the countless faces of African daughters, when we see Julie's village updates, can be overwhelming. And see, it can stir a reaction, but not a response. And we can get agitated but not actually answer the issue, right? We, we can get overwhelmed and I think human nature reveals that we can get sedated and tranquilized about brokenness, sin and suffering in other people's lives until it affects someone we really care about, right? The Baal altar was in his dad's backyard. Is this getting too intense already? Somebody said yes. (laughs) It's true though, you know, we can be sort of sleepy or indifferent to whether or not the church flourishes or not, like neither here nor there, until we bring someone to church, right? It's so true, as soon as you bring someone to church, suddenly we are awakened to every detail of the service, is that not right? We all do it, you know you do, do not deny it, I know you (laughs) As soon as you bring someone it's like we are compelled to put our hand up as service manager because it's we 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 suddenly care about the song list <laughs> we suddenly care about the quality of the worship team and the jargon used and the language used and we're like oh no it's never going to do that hip thrust thing because so you're going to do that Isha thing <laughs> i don't know how they're going to take that (laughs) You, you know we try and act like the holy spirit a little bit we get really you know concerned about our friend or family member and suddenly we realize the role of the church in somebody's salvation right suddenly we want to be a part of it we want to make it better we want to make it we want to reach out to the lost more we want our church to be more about outreach because someone we care about has been brought to church Am I hitting some sensitive spots this morning? It's okay, I'm talking from personal experience, it's fine. We become a lot more involved as soon as it touches someone we care about, right? By the way, I'm joking about the hip thrust. They've probably saved more people than we know, okay? I love the Isha's, (laughs) definitely. I just say that because Nev may or may not listen to this recording, so I just had to put that in there, but... I'm not going to imitate it for any new people. You can sit in your ignorance. (laughs) No one can do an Esha like Neville. I'm not even going to try. What am I talking about? Anyway, (laughs) pay attention. You will not care about something your heart is not connected to. And so God points Gideon to home. He points Gideon close to home to cause him to care for his nation. Sort of illogical, but it's how the kingdom works. I'm going to show you that later. Gideon had to start at home with his dad's Baal altar. See, the reason that Israel had fallen into oppression is because they worship. worshipped, they, they ironic human nature, they're crying out to God for deliverance, but they are practicing Baal worship. Okay, is that hypocrisy or what? This is a serious issue. The God of Baal was a false God and of sex and child sacrifice injustice and perversion at its worst was infecting his nation, his community and even his household, right? And Gideon doesn't know it, or maybe he does, I don't know, but um, he is the remains of revival. You know, the reason God came to him, he is the only one who is not practicing Baal worship. He may have been the weakest guy from the weakest tribe, but he is Not practicing Baal worship, and the eyes of the Lord will search the entire earth for those whose hearts are committed to Him. All right? And so He is, whether He knows it or not, the crumbs, the leftover of a revival that once was in Deborah's day. He is one little seed left of a revival of a past generation. But He is one man now who is finally awake. He's awake and I want to talk about this morning the power of one seed, the power of one seed because what happens in one heart and one mind makes all the difference. I want us to see that in Scripture this morning because revival starts with one. And I think we forget that sometimes. It is the power of one and the power of one cannot be overstated. I want us to see it. Even We even see it in the book of Judges itself. You know, by the time you get to the very end of the book, okay, we don't preach on the last three chapters of Judges because People get chopped into pieces, like it's crazy. Okay, Neville has preached on it, I will say that, but he's the only human on earth he probably ever has preached on those last three chapters, okay, can we agree with that? I was reading his notes, I'm like, how did you do this? And how did people respond? But somehow he does it and he does it well. But anyway, this one man at the end of the book, his actions, he's not a leader, he's not particularly a person of influence at all, but this one man, his actions send the entire nation into national disaster, and possibly the worst state Israel ever will be in in the Old Testament, one man. And here we see with Gideon, one man's encounter, one man's transformation saves a nation. We'll see it. But his encounter and transformation with the Christ changes everything because he took, because he took his encounter to his backyard. He didn't hide it. He didn't remain in the wine press. He responded, even reluctantly, he responded to the call. He responded to the mission. And he took it to his household and his neighborhood. He wakes up to his calling and he begins this first mission that he's given. Are you still with me? All right. If I lose you, I'm going to do an Isha. How about that? (laughs) now you're going to pretend to act bored so I do it I'm not hip thrusting okay six chapter 6 verse 27 this is what happens Gideon selected 10 men from his servants and did exactly what God told him but because his family and the people in the neighborhood he was afraid to do it openly so he did it that night so he still does it in hiding but I think that's okay he still did what God asked him to do right so basically he takes his boys he takes his links group and he goes and gets it done. Clearly, he realized he can't do it solo. So he grabs his lynx group, Joshy and Paul and Sammy. They get it done. All right? It's not an easy task, by the way. Cutting down an altar of Baal. Okay, archaeology tells us they're about a meter and a half high and eight and a half meters square. Okay, not an easy thing to do in the dead of the night when it's actually... It may have been in his father's backyard, but it is on top of a hill and it is the public property of the townspeople, all right? So <laughs> just a little bit of scriptural vandalism here, okay? And so he cuts it down and, and in doing this, he's actually fulfilling his destiny. You know, the name Gideon literally means to cut down or hewer. He's fulfilling his destiny. And you know, our destiny as the church is to cut down, to cut down and destroy. Now, you're going to get offended a little bit when I say that. It sounds a little bit offensive, doesn't it? What, so you're going to go and cut down down religions and culture? No. Missions doesn't destroy culture, it fulfills it. In every tribe, every tongue and every nation, missions will fulfill culture. But in every culture, we will cut things down. We will cut down injustice. We will cut down oppression. We will cut down, or it's our calling to slavery, perversion. Would you agree? Yeah, this is our calling. It is our destiny. There are some things that need to be destroyed in every culture and every tribe, every tongue, and in every nation, and it is the brokenness and oppression and injustice within this world. Would you agree with that? We can't actually afford to doze off sedated because our calling requires confrontation of these things, of these things, because the altar has to be destroyed before the new one could be built up. And that's a scriptural context, That uh, concept. It's not just here in Gideon. The altar of injustice has to be torn down before a new one can be built back up. Um, Jeremiah 1 verse 10 says, your job is to pull up and tear down, take apart and demolish, and then start over building and rebuilding. So this is our job as the church of Jesus Christ. And this is exactly what Gideon does here. He tears down the altar of Baal and he builds gods in its place. And then, and then everyone the next morning gathers round and they're like, who did this? And they're so indignant and furious, even though they know they shouldn't be practicing Baal worship, they're like, who did this? They must die. And then they search around and find out it's Gideon, son of Joash. And, you know, they want to kill him. And uh, something curious happens, though, to Gideon's father, Joash. He becomes suddenly ashamed and challenged by his son's actions. And he defends him. And he renounces Baal. And it's like suddenly he remembers his name. You know, Joash means Jehovah strengthened. His, His calling was of God and he reawakens to his calling in this moment. He rediscovers his true calling because his son discovered his. When you fulfill your calling, it compels others to do the same. Have you ever seen that happen? When you wake up, it wakes others up. One man wakes, awakens another. Second one wakes, I can't sing it in the key. Did it in the wrong key, Jit. (laughs) No, he didn't. It's just Leland sings really high. But anyway, it's called multiplication. It's a biblical concept. Surely then a multiple, I love that song. We want kingdom revival. But we always want revival to be an explosion. We want microwave revival. You want McDonald's revival. I know. (laughs) This is what the Israelites wanted. They wanted the Deborah revival. You know, do what you did in Deborah's day. Do it again while I worship Baal. Do it again. It's human nature to want a quick fix. It's how we are. But they were unaware that even in Deborah's day, it started with one. It started with Deborah. And then that one spoke to another one called Barak. And then Barak... Spoke to another bunch of people, but it started with one. And I want to talk about revival this morning. It's a good thing to cry out for revival. The church of Jesus Christ should always desire revival. But I would like to redefine revival for us this morning. Is that okay? Some of you are going to get mad at me. Jesus said revival is a little less like an explosion and a little more like what a seed does in the soil. Right? Because I believe revival is less about explosive growth and more about exponential growth. A little bit less about mass production, a little more about multiplication. Is that tracking with some people? Because there's a difference. Revival, when we see revivals throughout history and the generations, they always look like explosions, right? But we have not seen the process that has gone on before them. Underground. And you can always trace it back. You can trace every revival back to one person. One person. One seed. I know you want drive-through, drive-through destiny. The church always wants revival, but we want to pick up the sickle to collect the harvest and sleep through the sowing season. You know what I mean by sowing season? Sow the seeds. That season actually has to become has to come before the harvest season, right? Like, I want to I harvest. We want revival. We do want revival, right, in our nation. We want revival. We're like, come on, I want to I harvest. I want to see people flooding through these doors. I want to see people get saved and the broken restored and the blind eyes opened. Hallelujah. Totally, right? That's what we want. But if you want to harvest, you can't sleep. You have to pull out the spade before you pull out the sickle. Does that make sense? You have to pull out the spade and plow the soil and sow your seed before you pick up the sickle to collect the harvest. You cannot pick up the sickle and expect harvest before you pick up the spade because revival starts with seed. I want to talk about seed today. Revival starts with seed. I want to show this is what happens when we sow our seed into the ground. Can I show you? It's profound. You've probably never seen it before you put it in the soil and it grows it sprouts and it grows let's say into a tree let's say an apple tree grows into a tree and then that tree produces apples and within every apple is a maximum of 12 seeds maximum and then that apple ripens and falls to the ground and the seeds then within that apple have the potential to produce 12 more uh, trees And then those 12 trees have the potential to produce, right, multiplication, not mass production, exponential growth. Is that making sense? Yeah. Wasn't the world turned upside down by 12 seeds born of Jesus? 12 premature, immature, rat bag, yet chosen and called seeds Who went out to turn the entire world upside down, and history was ripped into two? But you know, one of those seeds went bad, but it did not derail the destiny of revival within those seeds, right? But I want you to watch how Jesus starts them off—the twelve disciples. He says in Matthew 10, verses five to eight, says Jesus sent his twelve harvest hands out with this charge. Listen said, don't begin by traveling to some far-off place to convert unbelievers. And don't try to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. Go to the lost, confused people right here in the neighborhood. Tell them that the kingdom is here. Bring health to the sick. Raise the dead. Touch the untouchables. Kick out the demons. You've been treated generously, so live generously. Come on, church. Go to the lost and the confused. Go to the broken. Don't try and do something big and dramatic. Start in your backyard. Because revival starts at home. And Jesus knew if he could wake up just 12 guys, he could wake up the world. The potential for the great awakening laid in the 12 in his backyard. And I'll prove it to you. This is exactly what happens in our story with Gideon, okay? It's exactly what happens. Gideon is now, after this has taken place, Gideon is now ready to save the nation. He's ready to tackle the enemy. And the enemy, the forces of darkness, the forces of the Midianites are are growing and strengthening against Israel. And then it says in verse 34 that the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. I could preach a whole separate message on that, but I'm not going to. It says he blew a ram's horn as a call to arms and the men of the clan of Abiza came to him. And he also sent messages throughout Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun and Naphtali summoning their warriors and all of them responded. See, blowing off the horn in this culture was the call of God to fight against the forces of evil. It was literally the wake-up call for war. I have a shofar at home, I should have brought it. It would have had such a good effect, but I don't know how to use it. Paul can do it, he blows into it and it's like, Woo! can you imagine? <laughs> he did. I wanted one and then he ordered one for me from Jerusalem, so cool. Uh, <laughs> I just wanted one. Okay, but do you see how ironic this is? I love that it is Gideon who is blowing the trumpet for war. The one who was called out of hiding is now calling others out of hiding. Do you see that? Do you see it? The timid, sleepy one in the hole who God called mighty man of valour is now literally summoning warriors. The one who God called a warrior is now summoning warriors. The one who was awoken began to wake others. Can you see that? And here's the best part. Here's the best part. The very first people to respond to the call, the Abias writes. Do you know who they were? His, His people. You know, the guys who stood around and wanted to kill him at the start of the story? His his neighborhood, first ones to respond to the call. How did that happen? Because when Gideon was awoken, his father was awoken. And I guess Joash, his father, when his newfound passion was awakened, it woke up the whole neighborhood. Three awaken rouse of town. Turn the whole place upside. Were you listening to the song, people? (laughs) It's not your fault. It's not your fault. We'll sing it again. Have you ever noticed how difficult it is to stay asleep when someone near you is really awake? Shall I rephrase that? Does anyone have toddlers? Anyone? (laughs) You should be raising your hand, (laughs) Krista. Does not matter how sleepy I am. Doesn't matter how comfortable I am fact that I have six pillows in my bed which I do goose down doona beautiful I have the most comfortable bed in the world I don't care what you say right it actually doesn't matter because once Eden is awake the entire household is awake the entire household awake she will make known to you that she is no longer asleep and the decision to continue sleeping once she is not is no longer in my hands the parents should be amening me right now, just so you know. I don't know how someone has that much energy in the morning prior to caffeine. Yeah, maybe you do, but you don't even drink coffee, do you? Interesting. Me and Maddie can't relate to you. <laughs> you must be holier than me, but I'm just, have you ever wondered that? This has nothing to do with my message, but how do toddlers have that much energy first thing in the morning? I mean, it could be the fact that they sleep 13 hours. Maddie, maybe if we went to bed at 7.30 in the morning, morning, that'd be great, wouldn't it? In another life. At night, we wouldn't need nine shots by the end of Sunday. But what am I talking about? Right. Yeah, my kid. Let's just say that her awakeness is contagious. Yeah, I'm not overly enthusiastic about it in the morning, but let's just say that when she's awake, it's contagious because when she's awake, everyone wakes up because she's loud and she's excited and she jumps on you literally every morning and declares she wants wheat and that's how we start our day. No, that's how we start our day. And then I get Paul to go and give her wheat but, you know, I don't... <laughs> is actually true I don't need a wake-up call on my phone she is my wake-up call do you see what I'm trying to say here she is my wake-up call okay Christians who are awake I wonder if she'll listen to this when she's older Christians who are awake are contagious Okay, sleepiness can be contagious. Okay, when someone yawns, everyone starts yawning. So I haven't figured out that phenomenon. But anyway, it's a tangent. What am I talking about? Christians who are awake are contagious. So when you wake up to the call of God on your life, it doesn't stop with you. Do you see that? It doesn't stop with you because when you're called, you're assigned. All right, you're assigned to the person in front of you, to the people in front of you, and future victory weighs on you completing your current assignment. But you will never know your current assignment unless you are awake. Unless you are awake. So, in other words, you start where you are, you use what you have, and you do what you can. But you've got to be awake. You've got to be awake. Are you awake this morning? Beautiful. Christ fulfilled his calling of missions in his own backyard. Did you know that? He started in Galilee. And yeah, there were no longer Baal worshippers in, in, by the time Christ came. But Baal's throne takes many different forms and shapes in the human heart. Still does. So he, he didn't tear down Baal's altar. But he did tear down an altar because they were worshipping the law instead of the lawgiver. They worshipped the temple instead of the God offer. And they worshipped the legalistic rituals and rules. Crying out to God but worshipping a false one in their actions. You see that? And what did Jesus say? He said, I will tear that temple down and rebuild it in three days. You Remember when he said that? And they thought he was talking about the physical altar, like Gideon style. But, But he wasn't. He was talking about the religious system and legalistic oppression that ironically was keeping mankind asleep. We're called to walk humbly, love mercy, act justly. They were not fulfilling that call. They were asleep. So what does Jesus do? He tears that altar down and he rebuilds another one in its place. Does anybody know what that is? The church of Jesus Christ is the new altar, the new temple. Is that not right? The church of Jesus Christ on the hill in the city for all the townspeople to gather around is the new altar of God. And yeah, come on, Jesus was, you got to see this, Jesus was and he is the revival seed. Do you see that? Prophesied all the way back from Genesis 3.15. When God says, I put enmity between you and the woman and your seed and her seed, remember that? The seed is speaking of the Messiah to come. He's the revival seed, faithfully preserved and carried from generation to generation through the messianic line. He is the one person, the one man, the one seed sown before the foundations of the earth, into the earth to bring revival to the earth. You see that? Christ. Christ. Come on, one seed. Revival started with one seed and that one seed contained 12 seeds and those 12 seeds produced more seeds. You following where I'm going this morning? Every seed has to die before it multiplies though, right? Jesus says in John 12 verse 24, Very, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies... It remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And this seed, this revival seed prophesied from the beginning of time itself, making its way through every generation, preserved through every generation, this seed did die. But he rose again from the dead, right? And when he rose from the dead, he blew the trumpet for war. That's what he did. He blew the trumpet for war and the very men who stood around him and accused him and wanted to put him to death, some of those very people were the first ones to respond to the call of the gospel. Some of the first people to respond were priests of Israel. We read about it in Acts. In other words, many Joash's were awakened after the cross. You know, we sing revival, revi- we want revival, we cry out for revival, but let me tell you, revival is only true if it lasts, right? Sometimes we're asking God to do something He's already done before, oh, we want, we want the revival back, no, revival's only true if it lasts, and, and this revival that was initiated by Jesus has lasted the generations. Come on, do you believe me this morning? It has lasted the generations because people are still getting saved. The lost are still getting found. Come on, blind eyes are still being opened. The broken are still being restored. This is the gospel. And guess what? Do you know why? Because the kingdom seed lives on in us. Come on, church. The kingdom seed lives on in us. And if we want to see revival, guess what? we got to die first we got to die first. got to lay our lives down for kingdom cause. Come on, if we want to produce some more seeds, if we want to see revival, we got to die to ourselves, die to our own desires. We want to see the hurt, the sick, the poor at peace. Is that what you want? Come on, captive hearts released. We don't want to waste our seed in slumber. We want to produce more seeds. You know, revival is just another word for awakening. You know what awakening means? It means to wake up from sleep. It's profound. I like you to learn new things. <laughs> I'll give you a second definition an act or moment of becoming suddenly aware of something. Can I read you a portion of scripture? That I wasn't planning on putting in this message, but I decided yesterday, yesterday Frenchie, <laughs> to put it in there. He's laughing because I told him when I, when I put messages together, everything is planned and I don't do, do, do anything last minute. <laughs> By the time Saturday night comes, I know exactly what I'm going to say. I don't change a thing, but I am being hypocritical right now. But Romans 13 verses 11 to 14. I really want you to listen to this scripture. It says, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Don't get lost in romantic language here. This is, this is the real deal. This is speaking to us. It says, let us walk properly, as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality, in sensuality, not in quarrelling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. What a savior. Heaven, heaven is serenading computer, me right now. Channel I could One stop and we could just listen to Joel Houston and everybody the would Mac probably Channel, be happy. We're on a roll this morning, aren't we? <laughs> awake now. <laughs> well, at least we know that everybody is awake and I know you would prefer to listen to Joel Houston than me preach, but I'm going to keep going if you would give me permission to. Okay. <laughs> What does it say? The hour has come for you to wake from sleep because salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. You know, I got a lump in my throat as I typed that scripture into this message. And I may have started to weep because conviction. I am so easily sedated by the day to day. And salvation is an urgent matter. Do we need that reminder today? Salvation. The ultimate execution of justice is urgent. And I wonder sometimes, have we been tranquilized by an escapist gospel that does not motivate us for the salvation of the lost? People need the church. They need the church. Has lack of movement and spiritual exercise left left us drowsy? And lethargic, hiding in a wine press, has a casual attitude towards injustice caused our response to the world to be dulled and slowed. Sleepy Christians say things like, it's so horrible, I'm going to close my eyes. Human trafficking is tragic, but you know, that's an overseas issue, right? Actually, it's not. It's in every nation. But Oh man, the world's in such a mess right now. I just can't wait for Jesus to come can't wait for Jesus to come back. And I know we may not say this out loud, but we say it internally sometimes. Do not, this is what I heard the Lord say, and I hope you allow me to articulate it. Do not forget who you are, church. We are not a bunch of struggling, sleepy people hiding in the shadows of brokenness. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We are the hope on earth. Do you believe that this morning? We are the hope on earth. And I wonder if the world is waiting for the same power that rested on the Saviour that we claim to worship is going to rest on the church who will bring revival to a world that needs it in this hour. Salvation is nearer than when we first believed. I want to wake some people up this morning. I want to let you know that the time has come to come out of hiding and respond to the call. Respond to the call of God because the world needs us. We are the hope on earth. Do you believe that this morning? Come on, respond to the call for war because we do not war against people. We war against injustice and brokenness and oppression. And it is the reason we gather this morning. It is the reason we gather this morning. Isaiah 60 says, arise, shine, for the light has come. The light has come. Not the light will come. The light has come. So come on, church, what are we waiting for? Come on, what are we waiting for? we got to stop hiding in the shadows and respond to the call of God. You don't need qualifications. It is the Spirit of God who clothes you, that qualifies you for the calling. And if you are fully awake, you will know what to do. People who are fully awake will respond to the injustices in the world. They will know. They will respond. Please do not confuse being upset with being awake. You can be upset about things that happen in the world and it does not have the power to change any of it. You can be upset and still asleep. It's a call to action. Are we awake this morning? Yeah. Will we arise this morning? Yeah, will we awaken like Gideon and rise up to defend our homes and our community and our nation and our world who is desperately broken and desperately needs us. Salvation is here because this backyard outside those doors in Byron Bay, is our mission field. It's our mission field. They used to say that nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Nothing good. Well, you know what? The revival seed came out of Nazareth. Nothing good comes out of the northern rivers. They all just smoke weed there. There's people from Nimbin. Exactly. Revival seed. Jesus came from Nazareth. The place that people condemned or belittled, looked over. This backyard is our mission field.